0: Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Hi Chen Bui, I'm a USHJ contributor and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And with me
1: are... I'm Anya Crittenton, an editor and writer for Entertainment Earth News.
2: And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So today, guys, we're talking about animation. And we've talked kind of about animation before. A couple, couple months ago, we talked about uh, Disney adaptation adapting their animated fairy tales for live action. Uh, Now we're going to talk about animation in a different light. We're going to talk about animation uh, in terms of children's media versus all, all ages media. Like a a lot of people consider children uh, animated movies to be kids movies and kids movies only. Uh, But we like to think that they're for everyone. and, And there's a lot of good messages for adults and kids alike. And one of the one of the reasons we're talking about this is because of the movie Zootopia that came out well, about a month ago or so. A month
0: ago. Um
2: yeah, we've all seen it at this point and we wanted to talk about it because there's a lot of great messaging in that movie about stereotyping and racial profiling and tolerance and and just prejudice and like inherent biases against people. And um, but it's also an incredible, incredibly funny movie too. Uh, Very funny. I I really found the humor in that movie to be much more grown up than kids. Mm. There's a lot of there's the the kids stuff is more flashy and quick, but there's a lot of subtle humor. For Annette, it's actually not really subtle. I mean, there's an entire sequence of breaking bad references. <laughs> and, uh, the and the Godfather. And the Godfather references. And at some point, um, an actuary joke is made in the early early on in the film. Yes, I like, like
0: the first joke was an actuary joke.
2: And I turned to my friend who saw the movie with me, and we were just like, Did this film just make an actuary joke? Like what? And we were we were on we were in for the ride at that point. And Uh, just it was a great movie so we wanted to talk about movies animated movies that have like a that can that are that belong to everyone not just kids um so what do you guys think do you think that movies like Zootopia and like for example Shrek which I think would be a good parallel for like early 2000s like like yes these movies are like targeted for kids but there's a lot of grown-up stuff to it. So what do you guys think?
0: I honestly think that people uh, shouldn't look down on animation. Like animation is one of my favorite genres of movies and TV. And I think that it, it's a medium that allows for a lot of more creative storytelling than you can have on live-action uh, film. Uh, for example, like before we had a lot of technological progress with CGI and stuff, it was the only way that we could tell like the surreal adventure fantasy movies. Um, and I love Zootopia. It's really fresh in my mind because I just saw it today uh, in preparation Yay, for this studio. movie. Yes. And um, I really love like the racial allegory that it had in it, um, which made me realize um, having, having it be a ga- an allegory about like racism and sexism and all kinds of prejudices. That um, it has like a double meaning uh, on it because a lot of our like fables, for example, like the tortoise and the hare, are stories that are about like real life um, situations and kind of problems that we face, but they're always told with animals. So I love that double meaning with it too. And I thought that was a really great. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah. Well, the animal thing is really, I think it's really smart on Disney's part um, because. They can then talk about like racial profiling and stereotyping and racism and the police force, but by using animals instead of human characters in their animated film, they also avoid doing stereotypes of like actual human beings. Right. Like it's there almost... was no there was no animal species that was like a parallel to like a certain human race or a certain human group. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed.
2: And it seems like in like the 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 stereotyping and air quotes they were using was like like common things we think of like in animals Mm. or like specific animals have specific like you know jokes that people that people make about certain animals and stuff like that so they kind of took those on and like they took it to like an interesting place because you know there's the predators and then there's the prey and that the whole point of Zootopia as a city is that they live together Um, but there's this underlying undercurrent of reality that there is there's like there is prejudice among both groups, not just the prey against the predators or vice versa. So it's really interesting that the movie explores um like internal prejudice. Mm-hmm. Uh for example, Judy Hopps, the main character, she's a she's a bunny police officer. And at some point along the movie, she starts talking about the biology of predators. And it and she her own internal biases against predators because she's prey uh, comes out and it really kind of fuels the fire in Zootopia of this major prejudice against predators. Uh, I was going
1: to bring that point up too, because I think it's a really great parallel to like our own internalized beliefs that we kind of get by growing up in like the society we grow up in. So like, you know, you have like internalized racism or internalized misogyny. And those are just learned things from society. And breaking free of those is hard and you have to make a conscious decision to do that. Mm -hmm. And I liked how they brought that up with Judy because like she's very much when she becomes a cop, she's very much like, I'm not biased, like every animal like is, you know, you know, different but the same. Like they all deserve a fair chance. Mm -hmm. And then as the case goes on, you, she has that speech you were saying about biology and predators and you kind of realize that she steps up and she probably means it. You know, she's a very nice character but she has all this internalized learned bias towards right. predators and I like that they show the scene in the very beginning of the film when she's like a baby bunny and she gets kind of bullied by that fox mm-hmm. because it shows kind of an experience she had growing up and she internalized it and while she doesn't believe that of Nick who is like the co-star of the film? Uh, her friend, she doesn't believe it of Nick, but it's hard not to have those kind of beliefs, even if you don't really act on them.
2: Right, yeah. and Nick and Nick himself has been the victim of bullying because he's a predator, and he has a different a different set of prejudice against prey because he's been the victim of, of their, of their intolerance before. So it's really interesting that they kind of come at both sides and multiple sides to um, how we relate to each other as people.
0: Yeah, I I think it's um, really commendable of um, animated movies because they have these multiple layers of enjoyment that you can have. So, you have like the simple story of, you know, these two people coming from different worlds who try to catch the bad guys, and it's like a noir story and that kind of stuff. And it's simple and enjoyable for kids. But then there's also these other layers of understanding that appeal to adults and also appeal to kids because they can learn from that. So, I think that. People underestimate like the amount of work that goes into like animated movies because they have to not only like make this a fun, entertaining story for like all ages, but they have to. They sometimes, if they want, they add these, and they often do. They add these great layers of understanding to it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you, Willoughby. No, no, it's fine. You. I was done with my thought anyway. You were totally fine. Okay. Um,
1: so I was gonna say, so we've been talking, we've been talking about internalized like feelings and racism and prejudice, mm-hmm. and this whole time we've been talking about animated animal characters, and yet we're talking about these really deep themes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I think that's why we're all advocates that animation mm-hmm. is more than just a children's genre and more than just. Like silly jokes and things, and it can be a lot more than that. Now, that there's anything wrong with silly jokes. Like, I feel like animation, animated films should appeal to kids and they should be funny and they should entertain them, but that doesn't mean like that, them being entertaining and silly does not make them mutually exclusive to
2: the fact that they can be deep and explored yeah. like adult themes. Exactly. And I think, um, to talk about another movie that came out not super recently, but in the past year, uh, Pixar's Inside Out was yes. a great a great animated film. I rewatched it tonight for this episode. It's so mature in its way of dealing with emotions and how how you go from kind of being a kid and having these like one-note emotions to maturing and having like uh the character Riley experiences nostalgia for the first time in her life. You know, she has this she has this twinge of sadness when she thinks about happy memories now instead of just pure happiness or pure sadness so it's really interesting how a movie like that for kids allegedly is really more for adults um
0: that's my impression actually when i first saw inside out i was like i was almost thinking like this movie is almost made more for adults than it is for kids because it has a relatively simple story and not at all like flashy like we were saying before um and it did like make me wonder like would kids be able to grasp like how great this movie is, and I think yeah. that Pixar inhabits like this really interesting space in like in the movie genre, like conventions, in that people are aware that Pixar makes these really mature, uh, complex movies uh, that are almost aimed more at adults at this point, but not in a way that's like oh it's gritty, it's grim, and it's like adult realistic and not condescending that, to kids yeah, either. Not condescending right. to kids, um, but yeah, I think that like almost. Adults will appreciate Pixar movies more than kids will to some point.
1: And And you know, kids, a lot of kids who love Pixar, like I know a lot of kids who love inside out and like they have their favorite emotion Mm -hmm. and like they're using the characters inside inside out to like describe their own emotions. And I know I, you know, I was reading articles when it came out about therapists um, like adopting this movie and these characters as ways to kind of help children and help anyone like just kind of go through their feelings and It's one of those movies where they're not going to get a lot of things like abstract thought and things like that. But then, you know, you have your characters like Bing Bong and you have your funny moments. And I know a lot of kids who were entertained throughout the whole film. And that's, that's the balance that Pixar seems to almost consistently strike. You know, The Good Dinosaur came out the same year as Inside Out and it was decidedly not as good as Inside Out. So they're not 100%, but most of the time... They're able to do really mature films while also appealing to kids.
2: And speaking of another Pixar mature film, uh, I think we we all saw Toy Story three when we all graduated from high school. Yes,
0: it was perfect timing. Yes, we did.
2: Um, It was perfect timing because in 2010 we we all graduated high school, and Andy, the main character from the from the three movies, graduated high school in in this in the movie as well. And you know, there's Kind of mild spoilers for, actually, no, full spoilers for Toy Story Three. <laughs> the, the scene, the scene at the end when they're when they've accepted that death will happen, like in the in that trash, uh, in that dumpster in the in the in the dump with the big fire. Like that's one of the most heartbreaking scenes I've ever seen in my life because it, it took oh. characters that I love as as a five year old. And had them accept death as an 18-year-old. And it's crazy. Like, I don't understand how Pixar did it. But, you know, I can't think of that scene without tearing up.
1: Pixar's pretty incredible. I mean, you think of that. You think of WALL-E, which is almost a silent film. Mm
2: -hmm. Which
0: is
1: incredible. And, like, the themes that WALL-E deals with. And it's gorgeous. And then you have the very beginning of Up. And you have the very beginning of Finding Nemo and then the theme of Finding Nemo of like Marlon, you know, wanting to find Nemo and it's great. But he also has to learn how to let go as a parent and let Nemo grow up. And you have the Incredibles and Pixar is like the pinnacle for me. I I mean, I will admit, I will admit I'm a big Disney fan. I joke all the time and I'm only half joking when I say this, but like I guzzle the Disney Kool-Aid (laughs) <laughs> and that includes Pixar. Like Disney is like the best place for me. So yeah.
0: I think we said on this podcast before that we just love optimism and happiness. And Pixar and Disney just really deliver on that at the same time as like not making it sugar coated, um, but like having these really great, complex stories that just like realize all these emotions and um, trials that we go through. Um, yeah. yeah and
1: we've talked a lot about Pixar but Disney does it too not as consistently as Pixar I think but like you know you have Big Hero 6 which deals with grief in really interesting mature ways and so they you know NC Topia is a Disney film not Pixar Um, some of the Disney movies are a little on the fluffier side um, but they still have some really great stuff in them and really great themes (laughs)
2: Yeah, and I think that their um, Disney Renaissance animated films from the '90s and the '80s, I think they were very mature. While while kids love them at the same time, like I think definitely, I mean, number one with a bullet, no, favorite film of all time for me is The Lion King, uh, and that deals with grief, like you like Big Hero Six does, and you know it's the first, it's, it's you know the first time that you see a character deal with the death of of a parent.
0: And it's
2: and basically Hamlet with lines. So it's oh, it is Hamlet with lines. Yeah. Like there's, like there's, and this, the the sequel is Romeo and Juliet, and the in between sequel is Rosencrantz and Gillian Stern are dead. So that you know they know what they're doing when they adapt stories to, or when yeah, when they adapt stories because a lot of Disney Renaissance films are for, from. Uh, fairy tales or from um, like Victorian novels and, or you know from a different time period. Um, and I think that they do a really good job of of you know maybe taking out the super dark elements like with Hunchback of Notre Dame, there's a lot of things that did not make the animated film. Uh, but at the same time that movie is still very mature. Um, you
1: still get a, a priest singing a song about basically how he's wanting lusting over a woman. yeah. Exactly. He basically wants to rape her. Like, it's,
2: let's not sugarcoat yeah. this. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah, pretty rapey. It's, but they've taken out some things. Like, I think Quasimodo at the very end of the film, at the end of the novel, like he leaps to um,
0: into Elmeraldo's grave and dies with her.
2: Yeah. So that's a spoiler for
0: Hunchback of Notre Dame.
1: So, like, I'm really glad you're bringing up Hunchback, because I feel like Hunchback is one of those movies that, like, it they took away all this dark stuff. But like, we're talking about themes and like more adult themes and Hunchback. One of the things I always love about Hunchback is Esmeralda and Phoebus. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, people are like, uh, but, like, Quasimodo, like, of course, like, the, like, quote-unquote, like, ugly one didn't get the girl. Mm. But, like, the whole point, in the Disney movie, at least, of, like, Esmeralda and Phoebus, Phoebus is that Frollo saw Esmeralda as, like, this terrible heathen and this witch, and, like, he was attracted to her despite himself and blah, blah, blah. It was, like, I either want to rape you or burn you at the stake. Yeah, or
0: because of like, and, her, her exoticism too, which is another yeah, other, like, thing. Yeah, and then
1: Quasimodo put her on a pedestal
0: mm-hmm. and he
1: never saw her, like, as human. Like, she could not be flawed. She could not make mistakes. She was perfect. And that's not a position anyone wants to be in either. And Phoebe yeah. saw her as a human. And, like, that's one of the things I really like about Hunchback that I feel like people don't always, like
2: talk about sometimes. Yeah, and and Quasimodo accepts 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 it in the end. Exactly. And even I think there's a scene it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but I think there's a scene where he takes their each other Phoebus's yeah, hand was- and Esmeralda's hand and puts them together and say, you know, you guys belong together.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. they're think, they're more equals than they are like any sort of unrequited love or Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I think that, you know, the, Disney's always been kind of really good with dealing with like the, the, the dual layer, like we said, like, like the simple story for the kids to enjoy in the flash in the flashy animation. But then for the adults, the, the, the themes are much more mature. Um, like I remember, uh, as a child, the, the gargoyles always seemed like pretty funny and haha, ha. The guy from Seinfeld is a, is one of the gargoyles.
0: I like how you and do then, that as a kid as apparently. <laughs>
2: Oh, I watched Seinfeld yeah, I watched Friends, Seinfeld, a bunch of a bunch of shows. Um, I, was, I
1: was never a Seinfeld girl. I could like, oh, I would like Seinfeld. Friends, Frasier, yeah, Will yeah. and Grace,
0: but never Seinfeld. Seinfeld was too cynical for me. Yeah, uh, I didn't like the characters in Seinfeld. Sorry, it was just a show about nothing for me. Same, that's
2: why, same. That's why I liked it. That's why yeah. I liked it. But like, <laughs> but like I was saying, like, and then when I, as I got older, I understood the themes a little bit more, and I understood what the movie was trying to say. Um, and I wasn't no, I was no longer. Uh, terrified in the scene where they throw tomatoes at him and tie him down that's still your, kind that of still though. like still, yeah, gives, me, still gives me a little bit of, of tension when i watch it because that and the beast from beauty and the beast I, I i i used to not be able to watch that movie for years this uh, has a because lot of
0: traumatizing the, scenes they have that they have um in pinocchio the scene where his friends starts turning into get, a donkey oh, still can't oh, watch that donk. scene. Um, um, uh, can, can't
2: watch okay, but can
0: we talk about in Dumbo? Yeah,
1: Dumbo. When I was gonna list Dumbo that up. separated from Mrs. Jumbo, and like he's crying, and she's rocking him in her trunk while she's in her, I still can't like, watch that prison basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and then that, that whole mon- that whole montage is other animals, like other mother animals with their babies, and it's like, look at all these mother animals, with their babies, and how happy they are together. And then like Dumbo and Mrs. Jumbo are like separated, and he's crying, and I'm like, are you kidding me?
0: And then they show an off screen like whipping in that um movie too, like of her being like hit with the whip or something like that. I'm pretty sure Yeah. I mean,
1: well and then but then now we're you know, now you get into like older Disney where there are also some very unfortunate race problems, which is like you can't deny Dumbo has them, Jungle Book has them. Like they're all pretty explicit enough Song of the South.
0: That's true. Um one thing I wanna say about older Disney is that um when the first full-length feature animated movie, Snow White, came out, that was geared towards both adults and children. Like, that, even more so towards adults, because at the time, cinema was still, like, a very new concept. So, like, all moving pictures were just, like, like, everyone enjoyed them, like, no matter what, they were a novelty. Um, so I think that, I wonder, like, how that start sort of stigma about it being children's animation started to come around like when do you guys think that happened like animation just like just for kids live action is just for adults
1: I'm glad you said that cuz I feel like cuz I feel like um, when disney started before like snow white came out and stuff like they had assumed animation was just for kids like they had never seen a full length like, animated film they didn't realize kind of what kind of art it could be and then snow white happened and they were kind of blown away and then you have something like fantasia which Amazing. wasn't an immediate hit but was like an experimental animated film and like used classical music and is stunning but like they I feel like they had the same animation that's for kids and then Disney happened and they were like, oh my god, what is this? And then I feel
2: could it, could it be that the stigma from the early years of cinema still still is in our culture? That even even with Disney doing these like, you know, critically acclaimed mature animated films, that they that there's still because there's so many maybe maybe there's just a like a, a like a wide variety of, of movies that are not as good wonder, that are for kids that are yeah. that don't have that don't deal with the grown-up themes that that we're used to with our favorite films that there's a lot of like uh, I hate to use the word like you know shitty but just like not as good not films, quality yeah not as high quality the the quality is not as high as Disney or you know more recently DreamWorks and Pixar um, so that mm-hmm. there's just like that adults just assume that there's an animated movie coming out, oh, it, it must be for kids.
0: I wonder if it's because Except for of Disney.
2: Like, like, yeah. like, for some reason, Disney's the exception.
0: Yeah. I wonder if it's because of, like, the subject matter they did. So, like, a lot of Disney animated movies, like, all of them actually were uh, fairy tales or wives' tales, and those kind of stories are associated with, like, women, like, mothers telling children these stories as you know warnings about life and that kind of thing like for example red riding hood is a warning about like meeting strangers and also an allegory for like your coming of age and that kind of stuff so i wonder if it's because of like those whole stories that they chose to tell i feel like it happened after that though because i feel like like we mentioned like at the
1: very beginning of the disney everything uh everyone was amazed that this is what animation could be and they you know, they saw it as that art. And I feel like it was kind of after, you know, after the Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty and, uh, like, Peter Pan years. And then they had that weird, like, the dark eras and stuff like that, uh, like, before the Renaissance. I, uh, Disney Animation. Uh, I'm going to recommend uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty, which I feel like I've recommended before. It's one of my favorite yes. documentaries in I the watched entire it too. world. I love that documentary. I'm obsessed with it. It's, so it's about how Disney got from, like, their darkest time to the Renaissance. Um, and, like, Disney was kind of looked down upon before the Renaissance. Like, mm-hmm. you know, their movies weren't doing very well financially. People weren't really going to see them. And they had kind—they of, lost the charm. They had lost kind of the sophistication almost, you know, it was the years of, like, rescuers down under and the rescuers. And I know people like The Great Mouse Detective, but it didn't do well. The Black Cauldron totally That's failed. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like Disney – just started to lose that shine until they got to the Renaissance and people started to become a little more disenfranchised with animation. And I think the other thing is there's another thing, another level of parents are always like, what can I take my kids to like what's appropriate for my children and animated films are what's appropriate for children most of the time. And so I feel like people kind of just tack that on like parents take their kids to see this. Cause it's what's appropriate for them at the cinema. Therefore, it is a movie for kids while ignoring that while it's appropriate for kids, it doesn't mean that it is beneath you
2: as an adult. I think that's also part of it. Yeah. And do, do you think this this might be this might be stretching it, but do you think the haze Code has anything to do with the stigma? No, because I
0: don't. I feel like I don't think so. I don't think the no. Hayes Code highly um, influenced animation at all. Like I don't see any sort of because they would have always like passed like the Hayes Code yeah. no matter what. Mm-hmm.
2: That's true. That's true. I mean, um, maybe I like about, it would have
0: just... deterred them from trying any more like experimental content. But I don't think that anything that they would have tried like through that medium would be unacceptable to the Hayes Code. Like anything they would have tried would be like more surreal kind of experimental stuff a la Fantasia rather than, like, scandalous sex, nudity, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and I think we should, you know, go on. So we think that animated films are for kids and adults alike, and Disney and Pixar are great examples of how you can strike that balance and have those deep themes. Um, there are other studios that I'm sure we can touch on, DreamWorks, yes. Ghibli, I want which to, I'd like
0: to. Yeah, I want to definitely mention Studio Ghibli because it is a favorite of mine. I had a giant phase the studio ghibli um back in like sixth grade in which i bought all the movies um uh, so like they have i think some of the best mature content to rival pixar and that like they tell stories that are also not meant just for kids but are meant for adults at, at the same time like sometimes they're even meant more for adults like um their tellings of like world war ii through grave the fireflies or the um Autobiographical movie that came out a couple of years ago, *The Wind Also Rises*. Um, so, because Japan, it, like this is uh, kind of with Japan's movie industry, they don't have like big budget movies uh, like Hollywood does. So, what they put, they invest their big budget is in like to do like those big action pieces is in animation. So that's how they tell some of the more grandiose, fantastical stories. So, for example, *Princess Mononoke* which is one of my favorite Studio Diddley movies, um, is kind of that that epic fantasy scale that you would see uh, in live action um, in Hollywood, like a Lord of the Rings style sort of movie. Um, And it's definitely, I think it should definitely be seen more as like an adult piece of animation rather than like for kids. It definitely is like not as appropriate for kids too because there's a lot of violence and there's a lot of just, um it's hard to watch sometimes and yeah bro- like yeah the characters. first ghibli i ever saw was princess
1: mononoke which mm-hmm. i think is one of the darker ones it is yeah so uh, i was like introduced like right away to that um spirited away is my favorite uh ghibli one. film although i really want to see howl's moving castle i haven't seen that you yet. haven't
0: well when you I haven't it had... I, have I have the lauren entire Bacall... collection lauren bacall's in howl's moving yes. castle she's so good um, yeah weird oh. Away is also my favorite because it's like their version of Alice in Wonderland this sort of surreal and it gets
1: very surreal and it's a bit I think it's a bit scarier than Alice in Wonderland mm-hmm. and it you know like you're saying it's a bit more mature but I mean kids can still watch it I, you know probably not younger kids who are watching only Disney and stuff you might want to wait till they're a little bit older but yeah.
0: I mean they can still be enjoyed by kids and adults yeah and I think that Ghibli does a much greater job than Pixar up until now. Pixar has been struggling with doing movies that are not just like male protagonists or like any. They didn't have any female protagonists at all, basically. Um, And Ghibli definitely every one of their movies is a female protagonist or has a strong female role in it. Um, Princess Mononoke, for example, she is not the main character, but she is like basically the co lead of that movie. And every other movie is just like from the female point of view, uh, which mm-hmm. is really. Except,
2: I, I, guess, I guess I would say for the wind rises because that's an, that's a biography of, uh, of the, the guy from Airplane World War Two. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's it's a it's definitely like Miyazaki actually has retired. Um, although who knows because he said he's retired like a couple times and he always comes back. Like Spirited Away was. Uh, was him coming out of retirement to do this movie um and his last apparent movie was the wind also rises but um you know he might come back he is still alive and kicking and he still is just like one of the last proponents i think of hand-drawn animation which i sorely miss i am sad that disney has kind of not given up on it but they kind of you know straight it's away it's sad from because
1: when i When I went to go see The Princess and the Frog at uh, the El Capitan recently, John Musker and Ron Clements were there, and the directors of the film, and one of them, someone asked in the audience, like, asked them about hand-drawn animation, and they gave a very stock answer. It was very much like, we love hand-drawn animation. Like, of course, we'd always be willing to go back to hand-drawn animation. You know, it's a very, I'm sure they've given that answer to that question many times. So it's like, you know, I'm sure they do still appreciate hand-drawn animation, but It does feel like they're, like, looking, like, towards the future, and hand-drawn animation just isn't part of that future, unfortunately.
0: I don't know. There's just, like, this warmth to hand-drawn animation that you still rarely find CGI, no matter how many hairs off of, like, Merida's head that you carefully um, render. It's just, like, there's this more realism to hand-drawn animation, like, especially CGI these days is becoming very... Like, more cartoonish in a way like there's more enlarged eyes all the facial expressions are more enlarged and like the hands and everything like each body part is just like less realistic whereas hand-drawn is still somewhat in that spectrum of realism um,
2: yeah and i think that i think that hand-drawn animation is going to become like not a lost art but like a limited art like you know how like uh with black and like black and white movies like with the artist like that that was a big that was a big like thing because movies aren't in black and white anymore um or and, silent. or silent or yeah because that was also a silent film and that they made a point of that movie you know the whole point of that was like sound and whatnot um but i think that hand-drawn animation is gonna there's gonna be like a film or two every year or two that's like a hand-drawn animated film that's gonna be like a prestige pick or, instead of Every animated movie is going to be hand drawn, like it, like they were, like it was up until two thousand. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I think that the movies that we're going to that we that will still get with hand drawn animation are are going to be the best of the best. Which that's that's the silver lining that I can see from that.
0: Yeah, and it makes me sad because hand drawn animation is what I grew up with and what I still love about animation It's just like what what you can do with that medium is just like with a pencil and a hand. Um, yeah. And although it makes me sad because this is just um, about the anime industry, um, not really related to movies, but um, you can kind of see this drop in quality even in hand-drawn animation there. It's like they do the key sketches, but then they don't do as much work with the in-betweens. Um, so it's like, yeah. it's much less, it's, the quality has definitely dropped since the 90s and everything is like very um, sketchy and kind of, and like, literally uh, so it's it's sad like even in the hand-drawn industry. It's just like there's that drop um, I think Ghibli will be the last ones to transition to CGI. They still haven't really done a full CGI movie yet um, Princess, Mononoke, Princess Mononoke was their first use of some CGI in the film but it was a combination of hand-drawn and CGI and that's like something that I really want to see because I think that like the marriage of those two mediums would be make for even an even greater movie so. yeah but I do think and... there's a level
1: of um CGI kind of demanding more perfection or like demanding more creativity I remember you mentioned you just mentioned Meredith's hair mm-hmm. which is like incredible to me just the way that they animated that and I remember one of the biggest things is that like we have Meredith's hair which is gorgeous and you know one of the things about the good dinosaur people said that like you know it wasn't a great film but like the water and, like, the landscaping was just out of this world stunning. And then I feel like DreamWorks is only starting to get there. Yeah. Because I remember, and, like, this isn't me being a Disney person putting down DreamWorks. There are plenty of DreamWorks films that I love. Road Del Dorado, speaking of hand-drawn animation, one of the best animated films of all time. I agree, because I love that movie so much that movie's Ugh. the best. Um but another Dreamworks film that I love is Rise of the Guardians, mm. um which I just adore, but the animation in that film can be a little choppy sometimes, like especially with hair. Yeah. And, you know, I just I feel like Dreamworks is just kind of like I feel like it took them a bit longer to get to where yeah. Pixar is. Um, yeah. but then well, I remember if it, you guys do you guys remember the whole like Elsa controversy with her hair in Frozen? Oh yeah, yeah like the
0: there was a glitch where her hand went through her hair.
1: Yeah. yeah, and, like,
0: people,
1: people like, notice those things. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it does kind of demand that you perfect your art more.
2: And I think that DreamWorks in particular, I think they were stuck in a creative wow. rut for a really long time. Um, once, once they had the success of Shrek and Shrek 2, uh, I think after that they were kind of stuck in doing the, like...
0: Ripoffs of well, Pixar, essentially.
2: And not just ripoffs, but, like, cheesy humor and... Like I think Open Season, I think that was a, a DreamWorks film. You remember I, they had like Shark Tale like, the same Shark-tail, year as and, like, and
1: then they had like Flushed Away the same year as yeah, Ratatouille, they, and like yeah, uh, and, they did Ants the same year as
0: Bugs Life, a Bugs Life, yeah, yeah.
2: And they all had this same character doing that yeah. eyebrow they thing in the, the face. Yeah,
0: the, Dreamworks, yeah, face. the yes. DreamWorks,
2: face. And like, I, and now we don't have that with most. I mean, Kung Fu Panda, Jack Black's panda still has the DreamWorks face, but. I think How to Train Your Dragon, the, that those film series, that's the exception to, or at least the, the beginning of a new era in DreamWorks films. I, I saw How to Train Your Dragon 2 in theaters. I didn't see the first one in theaters. So I saw the second one. Um, and the second one blew me away with its animation and its storytelling. It was definitely the Empire Strikes Back of this trilogy that they're making. It was very dark. It was very family themed. It was very mature and it dealt with a lot of things that Disney films deal with um, in, in a very epic storytelling sense that I've never seen from Pixar but, I mean from uh, DreamWorks before I had seen that from Pixar before um, so it was really interesting uh, fun fact side note, the art consultant for both those films How to Train Your Dragon 1 and 2 Roger Deakins Really?
0: Roger Deacons.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. So, if, I love him. so next,
2: next time you go back and you watch how to turn your dragon, especially the second, the second one, uh, you can definitely tell, uh, Roger Deakins, uh, s- cinematography. I was in, was influenced, uh, or what was, um, had influence over the film, uh, because there's deep colors, deep contrast. Um, silhouettes are a big thing, uh, and uh, I remember watching that film with my friend. And we were just like, you know, this reminds me of, like, a Roger Deakins film. And then at the very end of the and credits, it, it just said Roger Deakins Art Consultant. And we were like,
1: Amazing. what? We Amazing.
2: Like, we, like, we we were so excited. It was, like, a Super Bowl winning. It was crazy. Um, but I got sidetracked there. Well, um basically what I'm trying to say is that How to Train Your Dragon 2 and How to Train Your Dragon are... are a new era in DreamWorks films, and I'm excited to see what they can do.
0: Um, yeah. Uh, I and- mentioned this, actually, in response to Anya's point earlier about CGI okay. being, like, this sort of reach for perfection and, like, the settings, especially, like, in The Good Dinosaur, uh, how we had a sort of simula- similar situation with uh, Sleeping Beauty and the backgrounds were extremely exquisite. Like, they were made to imitate yes. Renaissance paintings, essentially. And I'm not being anti-CGI, per se, but I feel like... CGI can't really replicate that kind of um, artistic choice that you make with, Mm -hmm. like, for example, Sleeping Beauty and the Renaissance painting and that kind of stuff.
1: No, I agree. I just think CGI is, like, the natural, like, progress. And, like, I love 2D animation, and I would love for that to make a comeback. I would love for there to be a mix. 2D animation is stunning. Some of my favorite animation in any film is in 101 Dalmatians. Mm -hmm. I love the animation in that film. Um, But I feel like... In, in terms of the Demanding Perfection, like, *Sleep Beauty had those stunning backgrounds. And, like, you know, they kept trying new and new things. You have the Rescuer Sun Under, which started the first Cats program. And, you know, going to Pixar and everything is his progress towards, you know, technology and what can we do new and better. And I think CGI is just that natural progress from 2D animation, just looking to try new things and try and get better and... I think that's what it is. So, I wanted to ask you guys. So, we've talked a lot about movies we like, movies that are clearly meant for kids and adults can talk about deep themes. So, like, why is it that we have to have this discussion? Why are we, like, why are we having this discussion if we have all these films that are able to do both?
0: Because, despite all the great stories that animation can tell and how great a medium animation itself is and, like, all the creative endeavors that you can do with it, um, it's still, it's something that you stop watching when you're, like, 12 years old, per se. And um, it's, even today, like, I'm seeing, when I babysit my little cousin uh, and we watch the movies that he likes to watch, like, the animation made for him is very frenetic and ADD and kind of, just, like, joke, 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 and sh- flashes, and not really any sort of substance underneath. And so I can understand, like, seeing those kind of movies or shows thinking, like, animation isn't really for me. It's just made to distract kids. Um, but I think that it's... While we have that kind of content and those kind of movies coming out, um, and, like, those are, like, executives and the movie directors themselves underestimating how in, how strong and intelligent kids are... Um, I think that it, there is, should be like, like any live action movie, there's the good ones and there are the bad ones. And you shouldn't misunderestimate a whole genre just because you see only the bad ones.
2: Yeah. yeah and I, think, I and, oh, Go ahead.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I think part of the problem, like sometimes is kind of those shows you were mentioning or you have the movies like, like B movie or something, which is, I mean, come on. And I think the problem is like you have these films and it's like I was saying at the beginning, there's nothing wrong with making a film with entertainment that is meant to be enjoyed by children and it's sillier and you have these ridiculous jokes. Like there's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like when you make your movie entirely that, because you're like, this is for kids, you are undermining children audiences and how smart and perceptive they are. Like, don't dumb down your movie because you're saying it's a kid's movie because kids aren't dumb. And that's another one of my problems is that these deep themes, we say like adults can appreciate them, which they can, but kids can appreciate and learn from them too. And I think that they should be given more of a chance to show how they're touched by these films.
2: Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think I was going to say, I think there's a, a deeper level of in the, in the culture itself. I think when, when animated movies are marketed they're marketed towards kids like that's i think that's just how it is like so i think that's a big part of why we think kids movies are not for adults when they are because marketing executives and studio executives know that they're going to get kids to see this movie so they market it towards the kids to and their parents are going to just tag along as the drivers for these kids to go see the movies too so i think that it's a that's why it's always like a welcome surprise when a movie like zootopia or shrek or um any of the more recent disney films and almost all of the pixar films is, it, are like you know well and kids adults can enjoy them too and it's like well no shit of course we can uh so i just think that i think that there's a a deeper problem with the marketing of, for animated movies that skews towards kids.
0: Yeah, I think you uh, you see that especially with um, Disney's modern adaptations of fairy tales and their es- eschewing of, like, um, the classic fairy tale titles. For example, with Frozen or with Tangled, they're trying to market it more towards boys who apparently won't like a movie if it's called The Snow Queen or... Which is not true. Like, yeah so annoying if it's not like not a thing mm-hmm.
1: yeah
0: and um, and their marketing of it is kind of uh, deceptive too like i know a lot of people going in to see tangled and being like this is a musical or this is what this wasn't what i expected that kind of
1: thing the tangled trailers were awful like go back and watch some of the tangled trailers they were awful and tangled <laughs> is one of disney's like best films like, it, makes
0: it makes me sad that people don't think about tangled anymore because i think it's better than Frozen. Like. I agree. Unpopular opinion, but uh, story-wise, no, the- I, I, like it, yeah. I like Frozen. It's a
2: popular opinion but. among the millennial Falcon co pilots that Tangled <laughs> is a better film than Frozen. We're saying <laughs> it. Now. Good, Frozen's good,
1: Frozen's but Tangled good. I yeah. think is better. And
0: but its marketing was awful. Mm-hmm. It and was I think so was bad. the problem, yeah.
2: I didn't see Tangled until it came out on home video, uh, and that, I think it was because of the marketing.
0: I saw it twice in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it that much. So I will
1: never forget when I saw Tangled in theaters because it was our freshman year of college and it was, it came out over Thanksgiving break and I didn't go home for Thanksgiving because it was too short of a break for me to fly home to California. And so I was kind of alone on campus. Like most people had gone home. And so I went to go see it alone and it was like Thanksgiving and all my friends had left and I was kind of alone on campus and I was like, went to go see it. And I was, I felt so good afterwards and it was like that nice pick me up.
0: So thanks, Tangled. Thank you, Tangled. So (laughs) uh, do do you guys have anything else you want to say about um, animation and this whole perception of animation being for kids when in actuality it's not?
1: I want to say thank you to Netflix for Saving the Little Prince. Yeah. Which is another film that I'm sure is going to be for adults and kids alike. It's one of my favorite books of all time.
0: It is my favorite book. I have... Oh no! I was—I didn't get anything. I had like a special, um, like it was my background for a long time. It's like one of my favorite books. It was how how I, I love that book. I know it's so melancholy and bittersweet. Um, and I was so sad when like it said the U.S. distribution fell through. Um, I don't know why. You know, like the day think. before it was supposed to come out in yeah. theaters.
2: Was it really the day before? It was. It was.
1: Well, at least the news broke.
0: Mm.
2: Oh, okay.
1: like the week it was supposed to come out whether or not Paramount actually dropped it that late in the game I don't know but the news was came out that it, they dropped it like the week it was supposed to come out
2: yeah that's, that's true
0: that's another medium of uh, animation that we didn't really discuss but that sort of claymation it's a CGI movie still but it has that really sort of stop, it's not motion, stop motion right? it's not stop motion but it has that very similar look to like stop motion, motion which we didn't really Speaking discuss earlier motion. But yeah, stop motion is great too For some reason, it's seen less as animation and kind of more as like puppetry. Um, It is. Yeah. Also,
1: James the Giant Peach is the best one. So good. Just putting that out there.
2: Um, Um, While we're on the subject of like claymation and a stop motion computer generated mix, uh, uh, the Lego movie is an incredible feat of animation and cinematic glory. Uh, It is a Hilarious movie for adults and kids. And uh I'm just gonna put my two cents in there.
0: Alright. Um so yeah, all mediums animation are great. Uh we're looking forward to what CGI can do. It's the future now, even though hand-drawn is still it is still a worthy um subject so medium, still beautiful. So beautiful medium. Um I would be interested like in CGI more if it did more than just kind of look like a computer cartoon, like with the Petite Colossus, for example, making it look stop-motion and realistic. And um, mm-hmm. when what the Peanuts movie did, making it look sort of hand-drawn in a way, but still anim- still CGI. So, I have hope for animation still in the future of it. Any, anything else you guys want to add? Animation's great. Alright, yep. that wraps up our talk on uh, animation. If you guys want to uh, have voice your opinions please let us know uh let's move on to the last segment of our episode our really really like um Woo! i think we should start
1: with willoughby first because yeah. i think i think we all know what his is gonna be yeah i think
0: so, so I let's, see, let's see if we're right <laughs> willoughby what is your really really like for this week
2: Really like a Stargate. I think that's a really good show. No, uh, uh, the Star Wars. <laughs> there was a new. There's going to be a new Star Wars movie, guys, every year for the next five years, and then and the trailer for Rogue One dropped uh, a couple days ago. At this point in time, and it is just so great because it's it's set probably days before the events of a new hope. And it looks and feels like if an, if like it's a, it's definitely modern filmmaking. It's, it's definitely like the force awakens has prepared us for a modern look at at, in the star Wars universe. And so I'm really excited for not just rogue one, but then this next like chapter in star Wars filmmaking, because we've had the, uh, George Lucas films and from the the original trilogy, we had his prequels, which you know have not aged well in terms of everything, Uh, except you know there's like this deep-seated love that I have for it. It's like unconditional with the entire Star Wars, but nonetheless, as as films, as cinematic, as as cinematic portrayals of motion picture, they have not aged well. Um, Attack of the Clones in particular, Uh, however. The Force Awakens, as we've previously discussed multiple times, is great. Uh, It looks great. It feels great. The story is great. Uh, I'm excited for the next, for episode eight and nine. Now we're getting standalone films, which we haven't gotten before. Uh, And the standalone film is about the heist to steal the plans for the Death Star. And it stars Felicity Jones and a host of diverse characters, including... uh, Forrest Diego Whitaker.
0: Diego Luna. Sorry.
2: Diego Luna. Forrest Whitaker. Um, Donnie Yen, is that his name? I uh, can't fit, man. Yeah. And we've got, uh,
0: <laughs> Mads Nicholson's in it. Mads Alan Nicholson, Tudegg we is haven't seen him it. yet. Yeah.
2: Um, We've got the return of Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma. She was in Revenge of the Sith, but her scenes were deleted uh, because there was an entire subplot devoted to the the start of the alliance within the Senate um, to stop Palpatine. And of course, that became the Rebel Alliance after 19 years of the dark times during the Empire. So they've actually rehired the actress who played Mon Mothma in Revenge of the Sith for Rogue One, which I think is an, a beautiful internal continuity within Lucasfilm. Yeah, because uh, it's like
0: almost the same, not the same amount of years later, but like enough that the anything fil- makes sense. When
2: they filmed Return of the uh, Revenge of the Sith, that was probably 2003, 2004, and they filmed Rogue One last year, so it's been about 12, 13 years, and in the span of time between revenge of the sith and a new hope it's 19 so if they put some age makeup she'll she, she's perfectly the same age um and it star- so it stars felicity jones as this rebel hero we think um and but she's definitely like a wild card uh we don't know much about her we know that she's you know rebellious there's this whole line where she's like this is a rebellion I rebel, and it's so great. I love it. Um, I'm just so excited for more Star Wars, guys. I'm just so excited. I'm just, I'm just so excited. Also,
0: Diego, <laughs> He's Luna, so excited. He, Diego Luna in that trailer looks b- very much like Oscar Isaac. I was like, wow. For a second, I thought it was. Oh, don't, I don't know. steal my thing, girl. I, oh, this is what you're going to say? Okay. I just wanted to mention okay. that he look a lot like so,
2: him. yeah. So, why don't, we, why don't we then move to Anya yes. and what she so, really, really. Likes Anya,
0: to what you do. is your final like? Also,
1: Really, really like the Rogue One trailer. Um, and I really like it for everything that Willoughby said. Um, but I, oh, sorry. Sorry, phone went off. <laughs> I put it on silent, I promise. I don't know what it did. Um, anyway, I love it for all the reasons that Willoughby said. It's a great trailer. I'm excited for the plot. I like that even though we know how the plot, like, end, well, we don't know how, like, what happens to all the characters, but we know that the Death Star does not get destroyed. Right. It still feels refreshing. Like, I still feel like I don't know what's going to happen. Which is great, um, but I was going to say that I really love that we have another female lead, which is awesome. So glad, and all those dumb boys who are angry about it can just – it's beautiful.
0: Yeah, I got to say – Beautiful. <laughs> I'm, I'm not as huge a Star Wars fan as you, but this movie is my diversity movie dream. Like, this is what I have been yelling at Hollywood to do for years, and they finally did it with Star Wars. And, of course, all the MRA guys are – all up in arms about it. But you know what? I don't care because so we have another great female lead. We have just like the most diverse cast of supporting characters. Um, two That's Asians great. on the cast, actually. Uh, Donnie Yen and also Riz Ahmed. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so good. I'm excited. I like and the book of it.
1: Yeah. And what I was going to say about Diego Luna is that clearly they got the right like, lesson from Force Awakened in giving me a beautiful rebel hero again, like Poe Dammer and Oscar
0: Isaac, and now we have Vega Luna, and
1: I'm just like, bless
0: all of us. Who is also Latino, which may like explain why they both have such beautiful hair and just look so, ah,
1: so similar. It's just gorgeous, <laughs> and I'm like, Thank you, Lucasfilm. Like, mm-hmm. bravo! So, like, I'm, I'm digging this cast. I'm digging these female leads. I'm digging this diversity. Um, I mean, Lucasfilm had like they talked about making their films more diverse, and so it's also just really good to see them making good on their promise. Yeah, it's yeah. finally
0: paying off. Not like Marvel making their false promises. And well, like maybe like, Black Widow uh, a
2: Movie. So like they could have like in an in like an earlier time in, in life or like a less woke time in lucasfilm they could have easily have made this movie about a guy who with like the same exact personality traits as felicity jones character um like come in and be like this like i'm a rogue guys you can't tell me what to do
0: aka Uh, AKA guardians of the galaxy
2: yeah guardians (laughs) of the galaxy aka a lot of movies in hollywood about a rogue guy coming in to save the world um And they could have easily replaced Mon Mothma with, like, I don't know, General Nadine uh, or even Admiral Akbar. So, like, it's really great that they chose to have, like, I think a lot of people were saying on Twitter that the trailer passed the Bechdel test.
1: Mm. Yeah, and, like, that's one of my things, that's one of my least favorite tropes in movies is when you have your lead character uh, be male and, like, He's like destined for greatness, or blah blah blah. He comes in to like save the day you have Guardians of the Galaxy when Gamora would have been the better lead character. Matrix. Um, it's like I love the Lego Movie, but it's also one of my annoyances because it falls into that trope of like the yeah. destined male hero, even though you have uh, a look at Banks character. Yeah, a more qualified more qualified, more qualified.
2: Chris Pratt, by the way. <laughs>
1: yes, and uh, then it's also one of my issues. It's part of why I'm not a big fan of Kung Fu Panda. Because mm-hmm. you have, like, the people who have trained and are really qualified, and then you have, like, Jack Black's character, and it's, like, why? Like, like I get that he also, like, ends up, like, training hard or whatever, I guess. I, but it's one of those tropes that I'm, like, starting to get kind of annoyed with in Hollywood.
0: Oh, I've been annoyed about it for a long time. Ant-Man? Yeah. but rubbed me the wrong way. I was just oh, like, oh, Ant-Man. man. Yep. Yeah. Ant-Man, The Matrix. It's, like, every movie.
1: Um, yeah, I agree with you. So, props to you, Lucasfilm. Give us those female heroes.
0: Yes. All right. The um, last one I really, really like is not really anything to do with pop culture, but rather personal styling. I recently got... Yes, girl. <laughs> yes. Uh, this week, Monday, actually, I got a digital perm, which is sort of a wavy-haired, looser waves perm. It's really common. It's also called the Korean perm. It's common with, like, Asian uh, salons and stuff like that, but it... Doesn't give you like the tight curls that you see in like Legally Blonde per se, but it gives you that or like half of Leslie Note's
1: head, and then she <laughs> turns down the hallway to look back at Jam, and she's just like, "It's amazing, angry,
0: yeah, beautiful." It's um, yeah, just wavy hair, kind of what you see a lot like in a lot of TV shows. Essentially, um, if I may say so myself, I look a little bit like Chloe Bennett uh, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.S. Daisy Johnson. Yes, Yes, I'm actually intending to get highlights, so maybe I'll even look more like her. This wasn't my intention, by the way. I didn't mean to look like Chloe Bennett.
1: But, But, I mean, it works. Also, for anyone, because you guys can't do this, but, like, H.T. keeps, like, primping her hair and, like, touching. It's beautiful. She looks super great, guys. (laughs) She looks so great.
0: I love it. Thank you. Yeah, it gives me a lot more body. I'm a super lazy person, so I'd never do my hair in the morning. Um, I don't even brush it sometimes. And I don't have to brush it when I have curly hair, so it's even better. Um, i I actually wrote a blog post about this for USA Today. So please read read up on it if you
2: see it. We'll definitely we'll definitely post that on our blog.
0: Thank you. Yes. And so
1: speaking of our blog and all the topics that we've talked about today, Willoughby, where can they chime in and let us know what they think?
2: They can chime in at the usual spots on Facebook Uh, if you search for us, the Millennial Falcon. uh, We're on Twitter, at Falcon Podcast. We have a blog, uh, millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We're also on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us there. Um, And where can they find you guys?
0: I am at htranbouille on Twitter.
1: I am at Anya Crittenton on Twitter.
2: And I am at Dogs on Twitter. Thank you guys very much for this episode of the Millennial Falcon. Thanks for joining us, guys. Yeah.